yeah, that's a weird song, isn't it? You guys, uh, you figure it out, you know what it is? Psalm 6. Psalm 6 with uh, allusions and bits of Psalm 32 woven. It kind of gives it a different vibe, doesn't it, when you like hear it over just like reading it. Um, guys, what we're doing today is we're, we're starting the fourth leg of this thing we've been doing since September called Soul Speak, which is this journey we're taking through the Bible, looking at the soul language, you know, the heart language, the prayers of people crying out to God and and that intimacy they find in communication. And and what we're going to be doing the next several weeks together is looking at um, weird songs and strange prayers. Um, the Psalms, they're weird. They, they just are. <laughs> you know, the, the Psalms are Jesus' prayer book. But they're more than that. They're his song book. And I really got to kind of wonder, how would Jesus have sung them? Right? Now, have you ever noticed how absolutely strange song lyrics are when you strip the music away and you just read them. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this for you here today. See if you know it. I'm just going to read the lyrics from a, um, this is platinum, all right? Cherry lips, crystal skies. I could show you incredible things. Stolen kisses, pretty lies. You're the king, baby. I, no, I'm reversing that. You're the queen, baby. I'm your king. Find out what you want. Be that girl for a month. Wait, the worst is yet to come. Oh, no. I mean, this is just gripping so far, isn't it? (laughs) Screaming, crying, perfect storm. I can make all the tables turn. Rose gardens filled with thorns keep you second guessing like, oh, my God, who is she? I get drunk on jealousy, but you'll come back each time you leave, because, darling, I'm a nightmare, dressed like a daydream. You got it? You got it? Here it is. And I'll write your name. That girl for a month with the worst is yet to come. Oh no, screaming, crying, perfect storms. I can make all the tables turn. Rose garden filled with thorns. Keep you second guessing, like, oh my god, who is she? I get drunk on jealousy, but you'll come back each time you leave. Cause darling, I'm a nightmare dressed like a daydream. So it's gonna be forever. Okay, you got it now, right? And if you don't, don't admit it, okay? <laughs> right. She said the exact same words that I said, right? And yet, did you notice that by hearing it, it completely transformed the words? The words are the same, but they took on new attitude, new feeling. They were invested with an emotion, a heart, a sense. There was a direction in them because you knew how it was laced 
to how the person sang it. Are you with me? And have you ever noticed that if you sing the same words in different ways, despite being the exact same words, it can take you in radically different directions? Let me play the same song for you again, except the better way. Try it again. I'm a nightmare dressed like a daydream So it's gonna be forever Or it's gonna go down in flames You can tell me when it's over If the high was worth the pain Got a long list of best lovers They'll tell you I'm insane Cause you know I love the players And you I've never liked Taylor so much, you know? All right, we, we got to kind of do the show of hands thing here. Second version. Okay, the rest of you just leave. Just go right now, right? But what did it do to the song? The exact same lyrics. But instead of something that was playful, teasing, mildly seductive even, suddenly it grows an edge. It becomes angry defiant. The words are exactly the same. But the way that you sing it, the way that you hear it, the emotion that comes out of the music behind it radically changes the song. Are you with me? Now, now for those of you who um, maybe resonate with a prior generation of music, let me try this one on you. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens, bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens, brown paper packages tied up with strings, you finish it. All right, why do you know it? I mean, she's singing a list. I mean, right? It is a glorified Downton Abbey shopping list. And yet, because you got Julie Andrews and what, 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 are, the, what are those, um, uh, Von, Tra- Von Trapp, is that it? Von Trapp kids running around singing. It lodges in your brain and takes the, these words that appear stale and flat and lifeless, start to take on an energy and a life of their own. Are you with me? I mean, guys, it's no wonder that Psalms is the most quoted book in the New Testament. Why? Why is every New Testament writer dropping sound bombs here and there? Because these songs are going through their head nonstop. And as they're thinking about something, oh yeah, that reminds me of that lyric over there. And man, what I would give to know how Jesus sang them. Because for far too long, this, this, this amazing prayer book, no, no, this amazing song book 
called Psalms has been reduced to academic study. I mean, how do we approach the Psalms today? We read Psalm 51 and it says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. And and our questions are, hmm, I wonder what the cultural significance of hyssop is. Right? You're reading through and and, and you're, you're, you're in the New Testament and you go, huh, he made an allusion. Paul made an allusion in Romans 4 to Psalm 32 there. I wonder why he's using this particular verse to further his theory of justification by faith. Hmm, professor, I wonder. Don't hear me wrong. The Psalms are filled with wisdom. They're dense with insight and dripping with meaning into who God is and what he wants you to know. But if we reduce them to an intellectual enterprise, we miss something central to how they were always supposed to function. Songs unlocking the innermost gut-wrenching feelings of the soul. It reminds me of this, uh, this clip. Um, remember Dead Poet Society? It's a fantastic clip. I love it. Just, uh, just take a look at this for a minute. Get the lights, okay? Gentlemen, open your text. Page 21 of the introduction. Mr. Perry, will you read the opening paragraph of the preface? Entitled Understanding Poetry. Understanding Poetry by Dr. J. Evans Pritchard, Ph.D. To fully understand poetry, we must first be fluent with its meter, rhyme, and figures of speech, then ask two questions. One, how artfully has the objective of the poem been rendered? And two, how important is that objective? Question one rates the poem's perfection. Question two rates its importance. And once these questions have been answered, Determining the poem's greatness becomes a relatively simple matter. If the poem's score for perfection is plotted on the horizontal of a graph, and its importance is plotted on the vertical, then calculating the total area of the poem yields the measure of its greatness. A sonnet by Byron might score high on the vertical, but only average on the horizontal. A Shakespearean sonnet, on the other hand, would score high both horizontally and vertically, yielding a massive total area, thereby revealing the poem to be truly great. As you proceed through the poetry in this book, practice this rating method. As your ability to evaluate poems in this manner grows, so will, so will your enjoyment and understanding of poetry. That's what I think, Mr. J. Evans Pritchard. We're not laying pipe. We're talking about poetry. I say psalms. And straight up, don't you kind of feel like that? Someone says, we're going to read the Bible today. We're going to study the Bible today. We're going to look at, at the, the, the meaning and metric of these songs. And, and I, I mean, I love that kid. He's like over there, kind of like this, with his face in his hand. You know, you check that kid like that was like shoving his face in the corner to the boredom that went over the place like a pall. And I gotta believe God is in heaven sometimes looking at the way we treat his songs, going, excrement. 
excrement. You're not laying pipe here, guys. You're talking about the things that, t- that, that tap most deeply the human soul and condition. You're tapping things that are meant to resonate with the heart. And see, that's what the Psalms invite us to do. To tap our heart. To tap most deeply those things that resonate within. And what we're going to be doing throughout these next few weeks as we look at these Psalms is we're going to be sampling them. We're going to be taking samples that that are kind of almost like representational, genre, if you will. You know how music tends to be divided by genre? You know, you, you go to your favorite streaming service. I don't know if you're on Pandora or whatever. Uh, you know, if you do iTunes or Google Play or, you know, even just walk into a Best Buy and they still do it this way. They're going to have music categorized by genre. You're going to have pop. You're going to have rock. You're going to have R&B. You're going to have country. You're going to have jazz. You're going to have classical. And then maybe even subgenre. You go to rock and you're going to have classic and you're going to have metal and you're going to have punk and you're going to have like flashback 80s new wave and you know half a dozen other kind of things going on. The way we tend to classify our music is by the sound, by the, by the feel, but we don't know how Jesus would have sung these psalms which means you can also classify them a different way. Think about genre this way. Some songs are love songs, whether they're rock or rap or classic. Some are songs of brokenness. Basically every classic country song that's ever been written, right? Some are songs of empowerment. Some are songs of hope. Some are songs of defiance or even violence. Some are songs that are meant to be prophetic, that speak into the culture, to the powers that be, to the establishment, calling for the way it should be. It's this way that we're going to approach the Psalms. Because i got to believe as Jesus sung these things, some of them sounded probably folky, tribal, rhythmic. Some probably were formal, polished, orchestrated. Some probably sounded a lot like punk or metal or even rap as we come to know it today. But through it all, what God invites us to do in these psalms is tap the deep things of the heart, tap the things that speak to the soul. And the genre that we're going to look at today are what called maybe songs of the brokenhearted. I'll put it this way. Songs of repentance. There's 150 psalms in Jesus' songbook. It isn't every song they ever sung, think about it like a top 40 list. It's the songs that made the cut and endured over time. And today we're going to look at these songs of repentance, these psalms of repentance. We're going to go to number 32 and 51 on the list. And so I want to invite you to turn there with me today. There's Bibles in your chairs. If you didn't bring one of your own, just grab one. And turn to this, this song book of Jesus, Psalm 32. 
And let's just try to tap some of what these songwriters had to say. Psalm 32. Now what I encourage you guys is as you're doing this, let it transcend words on a page. Ask yourself, try to get into what, what was the emotion of this person? What were they getting at? What drove them to write this? To sing this? Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped, like in the heat of summer. Salah. Most biblical scholars think it means a guitar riff or bang your head. Then I acknowledged my, I, then I acknowledged it. I acknowledged my sin to you and, and did not cover it up. I said, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave me. You forgave me. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. What, what would drive someone to write something like this? What gets into someone that makes words like this gush out of the soul and onto the page. Or check out 51. Look how this one goes. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me. God, have mercy on me according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot it out. Wash it away. Cleanse me, because I know it. I know it. My transgression and my sin is always before me against you, and you only have I sinned. What would Taylor do with these lyrics, I wonder? I've done what's evil in your sight, so that you're proved right when you speak. You're, you're right. I'm not. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. So cleanse me with hyssop. And I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy again. Gladness. Let my bones that you've crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence. Or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. What stirs in a person that leads them to put words like that on their lips and on a page. Some observations about it. One, it seems like it comes from someone 
who's got a deep, intuitive sense that something just ain't right. And I'm not talking about just out there, though that certainly applies. But in here, you know what I mean? Someone, it seems, who looks at themselves and goes, something just ain't right. I just ain't the way I'm supposed to be. Two, it seems like it comes from a person who looks at that and realizes they have something to do with it. That somehow and in some way, they bear, at least in some measure, Fault, liability, culpability, responsibility for it. And not only that, that God, that God, if he was just and good, would have every right to look down on them and even punish them for it. Three. It also seems, doesn't it, that it kind of comes from a kind of person who, despite that, hopes beyond hopes or believes in some measure that while God would be completely justified in striking them down, is merciful, is tenderhearted, is, kind of, is approachable. That, that God somehow and in some way is loving. Now, if none of that resonates with you, and by that what I mean is if if you don't kind of share that same perspective or outlook, then you know these, 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 these lyrics off of number 32 and off of number 51 are just going to be kind of flatline. They're just going to be words on a page with discussions at best coming up with the cultural significance of hyssop and how many times the word spirit appears in the writings of John. But if you do resonate with them in some way, see it that way, my bet is somehow And in some way, these words start to unlock something. They start to speak. It's like they're not actually your words, but they become them. That somehow and in some way, what it's seeking to express taps your own soul. And the way that these weird, strange songs and prayers called the Psalms come across is going to completely depend Onto which way you approach him. It's a, um, interesting, you know, talking about music genre. Um, growing up, I was never into gangster rap. How about you? Few of you, maybe. Um, not me. I just wasn't, I, I had every right to be. Every right to be in the sense that it was like my era. I mean, I remember Sugar Hill Gang, right? I, I remember NWA. I remember Public Enemy. 
I remember Ice Cube, I remember IT, I remember East Coast, I remember West Coast, I remember it all. I remember Beastie Boys. I mean, I grew up in kind of it all. It was just simply music that never resonated with me. Till about a month ago. Kind of ramping up to Christmas getting all the preparation work behind, and then coming into a little time off I had after, I do what I normally love to do when I don't have, like, pressing responsibility, and that is have a deep, abiding love affair with my TV. All right? And um, it, it's, it's Netflix, my couch, and my remote paradise. You know how it goes on Netflix? You watch something... And then, like, within eight seconds, it gives you, because you watch this, you might also like, right? And if you have time on your hands, you are in a very dangerous place. This is kind of what was happening to me as I loved my TV. Um, I was watching Stranger Things. Um, again, because really, why wouldn't you, right? Right? And, and, and if you haven't, repent. Um, and for some reason, that I think I've finally been able to piece together... The first that came up on my list is, since you watched this, you might like this, The Get Down. All right? Anyone here see The Get Down? It was awesome. It was awesome. <laughs> Basically about the birth of the R&B hip-hop movement out of Harlem back in the 70s and how it started to echo up through the 80s. And I watched it, and I was hooked. And on its heels came things like this, a documentary called Hip Hop Evolution. Another one called Music of the 70s, which of course led to the 80s. And I was in gangster paradise, all right? It was amazing. I have learned more about gangster rap than any human being should in these last six weeks of my life. And what was amazing to me about it was this. Growing up, the music, the lyrics, they never resonated with me. And I'll tell you why. I'm a white boy from the suburbs, right? They're not supposed to. But to those who lived in Compton, to those who lived in Harlem in the 70s, in the tumultuous time of New York through the 80s, these words were prophetic. These words were the words of prophets speaking to their culture, speaking to the people who were living in these situations and conditions, and by coming to understand it, it started to come alive for me. I found this with the Psalms. I come to these, these, these songs of, of an ancient tribe from half a world away and two millennia ago, and they're weird. And half the time I find myself not resonating. But when I start to look at it through their eyes, to put myself in their shoes, to see it from their place, these songs become nothing short of prophetic taking on a life of their own. And the people who wrote Psalm 32, who sung Psalm 51, for them, it was their heart song. It gushed out of them because for them, repentance was good news. 
Let me say that again. For them, repentance was good news. Now, don't let that just buy you, okay? Because think about it. Pause here for a moment. If we weren't in this kind of setting here today, talking about it in this kind of way, and I was to come up to you, we were to like meet somewhere at a restaurant and go to your house, whatever, and I'd go, hey, hey, you know, I got some good news for you. I got some good news. And you're like, oh, yeah, what's that? And I go, repent. <laughs> Does that sound like good news? See, for them, it was good news. Because for them, it meant this, that God allows U-turns. That no matter who you are or what you've done, God allows U-turns. For them, this was good news. For them, it was that God loves me. Even when there's nothing here to love. God loves me despite the fact that I am completely unlovable. That God, with tender heart and open arms, welcomes me and reaches out to me no matter who I am, what I've done, or what I've become. And for those people who knew full well who they were, this was, this was news unimaginable. Could this be true? And they sang it from the gut. I love how Psalm 51 puts it. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings the sacrifice of God, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God. You will not despise. To think about it, that God does not want perfection. What God wants is you. Now I want to show you an analogy. This morning, something that made this just come to life for me, and, 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 and I hope it's helpful for you. I, I'm actually going to need a little help on this. Um, I, I'm going to ask you to rat someone out next to you to me. Um, there's someone here probably that you know who thinks they know everything. Um, I, I need them to come play God for me for a moment, all right? Yeah, okay, Tina, thanks for pointing. I need you. Come on, you're God, all right? Love you. <laughs> Uh, she's not off though. She's coming. All right. Yeah, you made eye contact, sweetie. Sorry, and I'm sleeping on the couch. <laughs> Fellowship of Faith. May I introduce you to God? It's easy for us because that's how she expects us to treat us. In our right, God. I need you right here. All right. And in case you're watching closely, there's God's son. Now, I need you to rat one other person out. There's someone here um, who thinks, yeah, I'm awesome, right? I got it together. I'm a good person. I'm just like, I rock. People should be happy to be in the presence of me. You know, that kind of person, I need it. He's even raising his hand because he knows it. Zach, come on up. Come on up. 
And everyone, like in the first three rows, refused to make eye contact. It was wild. It was great. There's this amazing parable Jesus tells about a Pharisee, the religious leaders of old who who prided themselves on how well and strictly and closely they, they sought to follow the ways of God and a tax collector. Scum. Let's just go with it. Okay? Now, Zach here is going to be our Pharisee. And Zach, I'm going to move you. We're going to put Zach about here. Zach, by his life from any kind of objective measurement, from any kind of external perception, seems like he's kind of doing it. Yeah, rock on. He's kind of close to God. And then I'll use myself as the example for this. The tax collector who from any objective measurement, from any external standard, by the quality of their life seems like I'd go out the door if I could, right? But here's the difference. Zach, though close, is facing this way. Tax collector, though far, is facing that way. Where's God? Is Zach facing towards God or away from God? There's God. Am I facing towards God or away from God? Who's closer to God? Hmm. Which does God delight in? You with me? The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart because all repentance is is realizing what you've become, taking ownership for it and turning to God from wherever you are. And the Bible says that's what delights God's heart. Oh God, that is what you will not Despise. Are you with me? All right, God and Zach. Thank you. All right? Wait a minute. They're up here for like three minutes and they get an ovation. I stand up here like 30 minutes every week and really? Come on. Come on. Yeah, brown noses. Repentance is good news. And it tapped their soul. And they sang about it. Now, before we kind of wrap this up today, there's two corollary things I need to talk about. Because it's two pitfalls or traps or misconceptions people find themselves falling into in this repentance kind of thing. Things that are stumbling blocks or get in the way. Are you with me? All right. Here's number one. Always feeling happy is weird, all right? I meet so many people who think that at all times and in all ways, they are always supposed to be happy. And can I just tell you what that is, guys? It's creepy, right? Think about it. 
If you were standing by the casket of a loved one, someone who meant the world to you, are you happy about that? Are you like, eh, that's awesome? Now, I'm not talking about your, your dad's 93 years old and he's been like, on life support for six months. No, of course, you're grateful that God takes him home. Let's not go there. You know what I mean. Are you happy? Or does it hurt you deeply? Are you sad or angry? Depressed? What about when someone you love is hurting? Someone is hurting them or they're hurting from the inside? Are you happy? What about when you look and you just see injustices in the world? Violence, suffering the plight of others. Shouldn't that in some way kind of affect our soul? Now what about when we have a role to play in it? And somehow and in some way, I go, I contributed to this. Isn't it right to feel something other than happy then? I'm going to say something right now, and it is so counterintuitive, certainly countercultural, but I just really want you to hear it. Sometimes it's good to feel bad. It's not only normal. It's healthy. and shows that your soul is still soft and tender in God's hands. But I meet so many people, because let's face it, it doesn't feel good. So many people that whenever a feeling comes up that's different than happiness, they do everything in their power to minimize it, deny it, ignore it, wash it away, drown it, and get away from it all together. But I'll tell you guys, sometimes God uses guilt in the same way pain functions for the body to tell you that there's something that just isn't right. And there are some pains that if you don't deal with them, not only never go away, but ultimately destroy you. You know, it's one thing to kind of ignore and take aspirin for some, like, knee injury, right? Or some, like, shoulder injury you got playing sports. But what about when you ignore that lump that appeared or that chronic pain that just won't go away. And cancer might be floating on the horizon, but I don't want to deal with that. How much more for the pain that affects our soul? And I know that doesn't make it fun. But sometimes it's good because it causes us to deal with something that would otherwise erode us away. And if you're here today and you're struggling with that, you're feeling that, 
Don't ignore it. Use it as a warning sign, a diagnostic. To kind of awaken your heart a little bit and go, God, is there something here I need to deal with? That's number one. Here's number two. Now, there are some of you here who feel bad all the time. And that's not what we're talking about either. And and please hear me with all sincerity. If you find yourself feeling bad, guilty, shamed all the time, talk to someone about it. Because there might be something more going on. Get a counselor. Talk to a pastor. Find a social. Talk to someone and see if there isn't something else to be rooted out. Because I want to show you this one. Repentance is not about staying stuck. For the life of me, I hope those pictures are real. There are so many people I meet that think, therefore, if, God, if repentance is good news and God wants me to repent, God wants me to feel bad. I live around chronically feeling bad. That is not the point of repentance. The point of repentance is to admit what you feel, to come to terms with it, and then to turn to God and move towards him and away from that. Because repentance, far more than a feeling, is about a direction and emotion and perspective into the healing and forgiveness that Jesus died to bring. And there are some of you here today who are stuck. You're you're mired in it. And some of you have been stuck for a long, long time. And if you are, let me encourage you to maybe just a few things. Ask yourself, is there some sin in my life that I'm not dealing with, that I'm ignoring or minimizing? And if so, Come to terms with it. And then ask yourself, have I confessed it? Have I actually confessed it to God, verbalized it to him? And if not, do it. And ask yourself, if I have, have I actually received his forgiveness? If I just accepted it, taken it, owned it and if not start today and if you've done all those things and you still feel stuck start the process of leaving that emotion behind no matter what you feel in embracing what God says to you today from Psalm 32 I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord 
and you forgave the guilt of my sin. It's God's promise to you. Whatever it is, however long it's been percolating or keeping you stuck, I forgive you. I forgive you. This is what these psalms invite us into. So I want to invite you to rise. And I, and I want you to remember, it's good news. This process that God invites us to is good news because it's there that healing, restoration, and forgiveness begins. We took some words from the Psalms and uh, I'd like to invite you to kind of make them your own prayer here today. If you could uh, pray this with me. And let's embrace this repentant process together. Have mercy on us, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out our transgressions. For we know our transgressions. Cleanse us with hyssop and we will be clean. Let us hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face, O God, from our sins and blot out our iniquities. Create in us a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within us. Do not cast us from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation and grant us a willing spirit to sustain us. A disciple of Jesus said this, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful, God is just and will forgive us our sins. Forgive them and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Sinners, if you confess from the heart today, know this, Jesus died for you, and you are forgiven.